Hi, everyone. It's Hillary Kennedy, Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at NAMD, and I'm so happy to welcome you back to our podcast, Medicaid Leadership Exchange, where we explore priority topics and conversation with Medicaid leaders across the country. NAMD is working on this podcast series with the Center for Healthcare Strategies, and it's made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We're continuing to feature conversations between Medicaid directors and sometimes members of their executive teams as they share their insights and strategies on various key topics. I'd like to introduce the moderator for today's session, Mark Larson. Mark's a familiar voice to those of you who have listened to earlier podcast episodes or who have engaged in Medicaid leadership development work with CHCS at some point over the last several years, where he is the Senior Vice President for Leadership and Capacity Building. He's also an alumni member of NAMD as the former Medicaid director in Vermont. So with that, I'll turn it over to Mark to say a few words and welcome today's conversation participants. Mark? Thank you, Hillary. Um, it's always a pleasure to be a part of this podcast series and I'm really excited about both the topic and our guest today. We have Marianne Linda Blatt and uh, Tracy Johnson joining us today in a conversation about how we engage members in the important work of Medicaid programs. Uh, so very excited to have the conversation today. And I will start by asking Tracy and Marianne, if you would take a moment just to introduce yourselves. Uh, we'll start with Marianne first. Hi, Mary Ann Lindeblad. I'm the Medicaid director here in the state of Washington, and I've been um, in that position for about seven and a half. Great. And Tracy. Yes. Hi, uh, I'm Tracy Johnson. I'm the Medicaid director in Colorado, and I've been in my position for about four months, so relatively new. Great. Uh, well, thank you both for joining us today for this conversation. Uh, Medicaid programs serve millions of Americans across the country and uh, a significant number of residents within each individual state. And we know the importance of our accountability to serve members well. And one important component of that is to make sure that members have the opportunity to uh, have a voice in the, the design and operation of Medicaid programs. And so we are excited to talk today with you as Medicaid leaders about the strategies uh, and opportunities to engage the member voice in programs and any potential changes that you're considering uh, in that regard. Uh, admittedly, we know that in, there's also a lot of challenges in finding ways for this engagement to be meaningful, both from a member perspective and from an agency perspective. And so, we're excited to talk with you about some of those, uh, both opportunities and challenges. Maybe I'll start by uh, asking you both, what engagement strategies have you tried that have been effective? Uh, we'll come back around to talking about ones that maybe didn't feel that way, but uh, could you maybe both take a moment to talk about what are things that you've tried that you feel have been particularly effective in engaging members in your states? Uh, this time, maybe, Tracy, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, as background, in Colorado, we're a uh, largely fee-for-service uh, state, at least on the physical health side. And so that does give us some advantages because, you know, we have fairly direct access to our members and our providers. And so 
I'd say it's a core value of ours to engage with our stakeholders and we view members as partners um, in what we do. And in terms of what we found effective, um, I would say there's sort of two broad strategies. One is to include um, members in stakeholder forums that um, include a range of stakeholders, including providers and, and other um, entities, and then member-specific forums. And um, with regard to the latter, we've really found that it is helpful to have some member-specific spaces to, to talk because, um, you know, members don't always feel safe or have equal access to information in larger forums and having forums where you're just talking about um, member related issues and are defining terms and defining acronyms is helpful um, to their um, effective engagement. And, and what we found actually is we've created almost a career ladder <laughs> among our members in that you know, some people that have started as part of our member experience advisory councils, which we view as one of our more um, successful engagement strategies, um, then move on to participate in other forums that are sort of multi-stakeholder forums. And I'm happy to elaborate on the um, member engagement council review for interest. Yeah, I look forward to coming back to some of those points, but. Um, Marianne in Washington, what are some of the things that you've found helpful? Well, certainly um, in Washington, one of our uh, ways of, of reaching out and engaging with our members is through our Title 19 advisory work group that meets about eight times a year that has both providers, um, advocates, and members on it. And it's a forum to talk about the program, update folks on um, what's going on in Medicaid, legislative strategies, ask for input. So that's been um, a, a vehicle that we've used. We also have a work group that um, reviews, that has members on it, that reviews all of our um, consumer notices, so things that go out to our members to have a chance to take a look at that. And that includes um, even uh, a variety of um, <clears throat> notices that go out from our health plans. We're a big managed care state, about close to 90% of our enrollment is in managed care. And so this is an opportunity for some of the consumers to actually participate and review um, those things. Um, we also uh, bring consumers together to test um, things like our website and um, our um, different information that we have posted out um, for members to uh, review. So we've brought folks to, together to review that. Um, also our enrollment site, um, we've recently added an app um, that's available to our uh, MAGI population, which is the bulk of our population. And um, we used a work group to help um, with that design. Also, um, we have, um, what we call our story bank and we're working with members to gather their stories about Medicaid and what it's meant to them and we actually have an incentive um, a $50 gift card for individuals that are willing to tell their story so that's just kind of a few of the things that we're doing most actively um, with that popular with our population that's great and you're both mentioning 
the way that you've created multiple different opportunities. Uh, I'm wondering before we explore those more, are there any things that you might share that you've found didn't really work out so well uh, when you've tried them? I can start, this is Tracy. Um, when we um, developed our member experience advisory councils, we have one for Medicaid, one for CHIP, and they're both um, in-person and virtual options. Um, when we initially did recruitment, we sort of did passive recruitment initially. We had a static page on our website. We had occasional social media posts saying we were looking for participation. And um, we got some level of participation. We got the thing off the ground. But what we found worked better um, in 2017, we sent a blast email recruitment message to all Medicaid members from whom we had um, email addresses um, for and who adopted into receiving emails from us. And we used that to recruit um, for our member advisory council. And then, um, you know, we got more than 400 responses the first year and then 700 the second year we did it. And so we were then able to kind of um, have a, a broader pool of people um, where we could sort of analyze, you know, who, who we had represented on these councils and who we needed um, to have more representation from and recruit people intentionally. The other thing we did with our member advisory council is, um, and this was controversial at the time, was really say, you know, we want to focus on an average member. We don't want, you know, professional advocates from advocacy organizations, although as I, I kind of hinted earlier, we are, we are building um, new advocates through our process, but we really wanted to hear the voice of sort of an average member on the ground. And so, again, getting to that kind of person who isn't tuned in to, um, you know, department communications necessarily did take some effort. And um, we had to try a couple of things before we felt we were successful. And I would just add a couple things. I mean, I think just engaging members is challenging. So while we have a number of different efforts, I think we all you know, feel here our communications um, division and others that we really still are working on this. And in some areas, we just haven't cracked the code. Um, you know, how to, how to um, engage individuals that have, you know, childcare issues, um, you know, dis travel distances to attend meetings or, or be able to come online for meetings, um, individuals that uh, may need, um, you know, assistance in a variety of ways, translation services, whatever. So we're still working on that. So I think with any number of our approaches, we'd say that we've, we're making progress, but uh, there's still some issues, you know, difficulty for a member to, you know, many of our members are employed. How do you get away from work to, to um, attend these meetings or call into meetings? So that's a, an area I think that um, has held us back a little bit. And so we talk about trying, trying different things. We try, a, a, you know, in a variety of the efforts that we make, we are still stymied a bit about how to um, be able to engage consumers um, effectively and also recognizing how you deal with things like childcare, transportation, um, interpreters, and so on. Marianne, thank you. Uh, both of your comments remind me that whenever we talk about consumer voice in our programs, you know, a challenge for Medicaid programs is that 
when we think about who we serve, the profiles are so numerous and that it's not like there's just uh, one pretty consistent group of individuals that are served. They, they're people with so many different backgrounds, uh, obstacles that they face in participating in programs, uh, that it's a it's an ongoing challenge. And I, I'm wondering, you've mentioned in different ways, uh, both of you, the ways that you're kind of creating a ladder for folks to participate. And I'm wondering if you have had any specific strategies for creating different levels of opportunity for people maybe who are starting out for the first time providing input into your programs or maybe others who have had more experience but what are the what are the ways that you've provided sort of a range of opportunities for folks um gosh mark um interesting question you know i think for with with any of these opportunities um much of the engagement sort of grow, I don't know how to say it, but kind of grows on itself. So for example, um, you're just getting folks that we can easily share materials with and they can comment on and review and get back to us. That's like a little easier thing. They may not have to come to a location to do that. So um, as I talk a little bit about starting out with folks doing things that they can do more simply um, like reviewing uh, uh, consumer no notices, then bringing folks into, for example, our Title 19 Advisory Committee, find ways to support things like transportation or what they need so they can participate. So kind of a growing opportunity um, to uh, be able to participate in things um, and even to where we can bring them in. So they're testing, um, testing our website. They're, um, you know, literally spending a day with um, our staff um, and uh, working um, <clears throat> with um, our eligibility staff in terms of looking at documents, how to simplify, how to make the program easier. So I think it's, it is, as Mark was saying, a bit of a ladder from the standpoint of kind of getting somebody interested. And then ultimately, where we'd hope to get is, you know, someone who would be willing to do a story that we would have out on our website that we use at conferences and that sort of thing where we are actually engaging them. And like I said earlier, um, a $50 gift card if you're uh, interested in doing that. Yeah, my comments would be kind of similar. We have um, found a lot of success with uh, virtual opportunities to participate. Um, we have a large group in our virtual member network that we tap for surveys, focus groups, interviews, user testing of a variety of different materials. and. Again, the, the barrier to entry kind of thing is sort of low. Um, you know, they just need a telephone and you know, the, the amount of commitment is kind of smaller, but you start to get a feel for who's really engaged, you know, who's always showing up. And then I think those folks are the ones that staff or, you know, quite frankly, other members say, hey, you know, um, there are the, uh, these other forums where the membership's more fixed, you know, you're invited, um, you need to apply, but you seem interested and, and you know, wouldn't you be good? And, and I know of several examples of people who now are on fairly, um, you know, important, um, visible 
uh, stakeholder forums that, that have followed that pathway. You know, for example, um, at least one member of our medical services board, which is our rulemaking body, um, followed that path. Um, from being in these sort of less formal, less fixed, um, less commitment, frankly, type groups to now being, you know, in, um, you know, an appointed position in our rulemaking body. Tracy, thank you. And uh, you mentioned earlier specifically that need to create member-specific spaces, but you've also both talked about your uh, broader stakeholder engagement councils. And I'm wondering if you can talk for a moment about when people are at that level of engagement, how are you creating a, a space that is safe and comfortable for them participating in the midst of other uh, stakeholders who may be uh, have more status, have uh, institutional power, um, where the imbalance may be a difficulty for a consumer to participate. What are some of the ways that you've made your, your space safe and comfortable for, for members to participate? I can start. Um, I think you need to communicate in fairly direct but also subtle ways that um, person-centered principles are, are a core value in how you approach the work. And um, when you do that, then it, it becomes relevant what the member perspective is. And just as it's relevant as to what the provider experience of participating in the Medicaid program is. And so part of it is sort of how you set the stage. Um, additionally, you know, facilitation helps. Um, as, as, we, as I said a couple of times, and, um, you know, selecting the right person who has um, comfort in uh, participating in that kind of environment is also helpful. And um, I think those are, you know, the main strategies is just sort of, um, and probably the most important strategy is just communicating that this perspective has as much value as any other perspective. Tracy, thank you. Marianne, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think a lot of, a, of it is about how you set the stage. And, you know, we try to make our meetings somewhat informal in the sense that, you know, having breakfast, having people have a time to just chat and get to know each other and, you um, uh, setting an environment or a tone where um, not one organization or individual dominates the conversation, but making sure that everybody has a chance to speak um, in a meeting, whether they have an issue or not, but just open up opportunities for them. So I think a lot about it is just, you know, that getting to know people, uh, especially with our Title 19 advisory, many of those folks have been on for, you know, quite a long time. So there's, a comfort just in terms of it is a safe place for them to communicate. It's a safe place to ask questions and they all have an opportunity to um, participate in the forum. And good facilitation is important. A good, a good chair of the committee is really important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts about how you measure success of your efforts. Uh, how do you know that your engagement strategies are having the impact on your program that you're 
wanting. Well, Mary, I, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I, Mark, I think that, that again is another great question. I think that's difficult to do it in a in a quantifiable sort of a way, you know, from but but almost more anecdotally in terms of people coming back to meetings, people participating in meetings, um, being able to find individuals that are interested in doing things like reviewing materials. Um, so almost by their participation. And we are working to, right now, to actually try to bring more um, community individuals into our, um, into our work. Um, you know, we, we don't feel like we have, have enough. So that'll be an opportunity for us to look at, you know, setting up what some goals in terms of where we, where we want to be and what we want to achieve. Um, what I would add to that is um, in Colorado, we have a, a multi-stakeholder uh, or group. Uh, it goes by the acronym PIOC. And um, there is a subcommittee focused on um, involving and engaging members. And one of their charges is to look at not only to increase engagement, but to, to, to get to your question about how do you measure engagement and meaningfulness of engagement. And so um, one of the, their activities uh, this year was to uh, look at a report that was a, a qualitative analysis that an advocacy organization had gotten funded around member engagement and think about um, the findings of this report and how they could bring it into this process. Um, and some of those recommendations did make their way into deliverables um, for um, the department and the department vendors. And um, so I think you know, um, having some dedicated time to think uh, in space of just this issue and then relying on some of your partners to help you think that through has been successful for us. Yeah, thank you both. Uh, Tracy, to, to your comment, having some of those stories where the effort has reduced, produced real tangible results seems to be an important component of expressing both the value and uh, the practical importance. Um, a really nice way that even in a world where it's hard to quantify everything with uh, charts and graphs, some of those stories seem to really make a difference. Do you have, as we start uh, wrapping up our conversation, any other advice that you'd offer Medicaid leaders about how to meaningfully engage members? I think, um, oh, go ahead, Tracy. Sorry. Um, I, I think um, not, uh, not underestimating the staff support that's necessary to do this well. Um, we, we have people in our organization called chief client officer, deputy client officer, and um, they facilitate a lot of this work, but we also have um, a lot of decentralized uh, staff engaged in this work. And, you know, that you asked earlier about um, the power imbalance and maybe the um, expertise imbalance sometimes between members and other participants in particularly multi-stakeholder settings. And um, this is where staff can be really helpful. Um, you know, in real time in the meetings, it can look like facilitation. 
but it can also be offline support. You know, if you notice a member is just not tracking, you know, having the time and, and the inclination and, and the, you know, the ability to identify what the issue is to follow up with that person offline and sort of catch them up so that, you know, the next time that issue comes up, they can participate more um, equally. That takes time. It takes training and, you know, um, as an organization, you, you need to be able to um, protect that time if, if you want to get um, the value out of it, which I, I strongly believe is there. And, and yeah. I would agree. I think a lot of this is about prioritization and really prioritize this as an important aspect of the work we all do um, in the Medicaid program that to be successful and um, really uh, have programs that our our members can be receptive to that that address their concerns that where they have a voice is is as important or even more important than the kind of outreach and things that we do um, often with the provider community or here with our plan community that uh, our members are I mean that's why we're here that's why we exist is to serve our members and how do we do that in the in the best way and to know that it does, it takes time, it takes staff, um, and it really is important to make sure that this is very much a high priority from an organizational perspective and even up to, you know, up and through um, your authorizing environment, having, making sure they understand why this work is so critical um, to the success of your program. I'm reminded, as both of you share your thoughts there, that. Uh, it's really easy for member engagement or the inclusion of consumer voices to be seen as a task that you have to do. If you're going to submit a waiver, you have to engage and you have to be able to demonstrate that you've done it. Uh, I think you both have reflected that notion that it's more than just a task, that it's both a relationship that you have to nurture, uh, but also, and Tracy, this is where you started. It's uh, a core value about what your success as a program is really uh, defined by. And I appreciate in the way that you've both articulated it, the way in which you as leaders reflect that value. And uh, I'm assuming that that then translates down both to the way that your staff engage uh, with members as well as uh, the, the space that you create for multiple stakeholders to understand where consumer voices fit in. Uh, it's been a real gift for us to be able to have the conversation with you today and uh, we're grateful for both this conversation and your ongoing efforts to make sure that uh, members have a place at the table in how our programs work. Uh, so thank you both. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey everyone, this is Hillary. Thank you. Thanks again to everybody. Uh, I thought that the conversation was really valuable and I hope that everybody listening at home or in their cars or in their offices thinks so as well. It, it is a nice reminder that we do this work for the members and um, finding ways to meaningfully engage with them and get their feedback into the programs and the 
and the benefits that are part of that program um, is really valuable and, and core um, to what we do and why we do it. So thank you again to everybody. Um, for those listening, keep an eye out for our next edition. We are trying to do these on a monthly basis. They are released on the Apple Podcast Store under Medicaid Leadership Exchange. Um, and we will chat soon. Thanks. Bye.